it was the first time I really saw myself on screen um, in the sense of I saw people who looked like me, whose experiences were similar to mine. Um, and they weren't the stereotypical caricatures of Asian Americans or Asian Canadians that you might see in like major media and entertainment. I, I swear to you, I cried in like almost every single short film. Mm. There are probably like 10 short films there. And then I have to introduce, <laughs> interview like filmmakers afterwards. Oh but um, I said, oh my gosh, like if this is just a preview as to how powerful telling stories for us by us can be, we need to do more of this. More people need to feel this way. More people need to feel proud or connected or, or at least feel relevant. Welcome to Inside Out, the podcast about badass millennials living out their dreams and how they got there. I'm your host, Jane Z. Hi. Hello again, if you're a regular listener and welcome if it's your first time tuning in. We've got an excellent episode for you today. Our guest is Natasha Jung. She's someone that I've personally looked up to for a long time. So she and I met when I was in high school because she founded this or she co-founded this high school singing competition called Rich City Idol. At the time, and even now, I guess, American Idol is a thing, Canadian Idol. And um, she put together this competition between all the high schools in our hometown of Richmond. And a few years later, I applied to, you know, produce the show for that year, got the job. And Natasha became a mentor basically since then. So we've known each other for a long time. And over the past couple of years, I got to witness from the sidelines her building this new platform called Cold Tea Collective. And it's this media platform of articles and podcasts and videos. Um, and it's all stories and experiences from Asian millennials in Canada and the US. So very relevant to me, maybe relevant to you. I hope this is, uh, you know, whether you're Asian or not. This was a great conversation. Natasha has had a career that spans marketing, communications, broadcast media. She's been a TV host and event planner, and she's learned a ton along the way, not just about, you know, her job, but, you know, how to how to plan out your career as a creative. And we also dive into Natasha's struggles with mental health and how that tied into her work. There was one point where she was in this marketing job that she was just not feeling at all. And she she was experiencing this condition that I actually didn't know this term before I spoke with her, but it's called presenteeism. And it's this feeling when you're physically present at work, like at your desk doing the thing, but you're unable to be productive. So we talk about how, you know, she went through that and, and overcame it and then explored some different creative outlets and landed on where she is today. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. If you're a creative or kind of struggling in the same boat with your work not being your passion per se, I'd love to hear what strategies have worked for you and and what you're going through. So uh, hit me up on Instagram. You can follow Inside Out with Jane or you can email me at hello at insideoutwithjane.com. All right, so on to today's show. In a moment, you will hear Natasha talking about her childhood and how her creative outlets kind of blossomed from there. So I grew up, like, I was born in the late 80s, you know, was kind of, you know, like a young kid in the 90s and then kind of became like a young adult, I suppose, in the 2000s. So just for for reference for those uh, that are listening in and of i you know, I know that your audience spans uh, quite a few uh, time zones. So, um, yeah, so just for context, you know, think about the things that were happening in that time. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't really think too much about my heritage, um, you know, growing up. It wasn't until really university that I started to think about it. And, you know, um, if you do have a, the opportunity to go into post-secondary studies or have some sort of a life-changing kind of experience, um, you know, that you get to endure for, for a number of years, um, you have a bit of time to really reflect and connect with people that are like you or like-minded or even not like-minded, right? Um, so in university, I had the chance to join a student club called the Canadianized Asian Club at Simon Fraser University in 
um, British Columbia, Canada, <laughs> just to be a little bit more specific here. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I joined that, um, you know, because I wanted to connect with others that I thought maybe had the same upbringing as me, but not necessarily going in with the intention of, I want to learn more about my cultural heritage. Um, and to be honest, I don't know if I, if I did learn more about my cultural heritage in my experience in that student group. However, um, I was around people and developed really long lasting lifetime friendships with people who had similar upbringings as me. And I think for me, that was a little bit more of a validation of, okay, cool. Like I didn't really feel insecurities about my Chinese Canadian second gen heritage, you know, growing up, but you know, maybe there's more to my heritage that I need to better understand is hearing about other people's experiences uh, growing up as a Chinese Canadian. So for me, it was, wasn't really until, you know, university age that I started to think about that a little bit more. But I mean, even looking back now, um, back to like high school, elementary school, it's not that I was trying to push away any parts of my Chinese Canadian identity, but I felt almost maybe like a chameleon in that sense, like whatever situation I was in, I would just adapt to the people around me. And I think less about my Chinese Canadian heritage and identity. Um, it was more about who was I in general as a person? Was I just like, who was Natasha? And, you know, outside of who she was trying to hold herself to be fit in with in that given situation. Um, so long, long answer to your question here, but um, I don't think uh, identity um, and heritage can really be decoupled without looking at it over a span of, you know, different phases of your life. Yeah, definitely. And that phase of, you know, teenage years of just figuring out who you are and what you like, it's, it all kind of comes together. And it's probably very timely that you found that group in university when, you know, you're coming into adulthood and finally have the space and maybe some independence to start thinking about those identity questions. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, like, what about you? Like, when did you start thinking about that? Or, or you know, like, is, is this a recent thing? Or has it always been on your mind? I'm so curious, because I would say, like, I mean, technically, well, you're, you can, you're a millennial, right? So mm -hmm. like a younger, yeah. So you're a younger millennial. I'm an elder millennial. So I'm curious to know, like, technically that's a, a span of like 20 years, right? right. <laughs> I mean, not that we're 20 years in, in the age difference, but I mean, like, you know, that's to group people with vastly different experiences into one generation is just, it just kind of blows my mind sometimes. But right. I mean, I feel like the younger generation or even the, so like Gen Z or like younger millennials, um, they're just much more, if I can use a Gen Z term, woke than <laughs> we were at their age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, kids these days, but yeah, Gen Zs, <laughs> I think have so much more infrastructure and language around it already with um, like movements on social media and whatnot. For mm. me, I, I think my upbringing is a little bit different from yours just because I am actually a first gen immigrant. So mm. I was born in China and moved to Vancouver when I was four. When I was like growing up in China, I was the youngest of all my extended cousins. Mm -hmm. And my parents were also the first in their families to go to university. And so mm. there was always this like a lot of attention on me as like I don't know like a, a lot of like promise put on my head as like oh she's the daughter of the smart ones or something like that oh, and I, I remember yeah I remember like at age three I would be like reciting ancient Chinese poetry and like but that was like a fun thing and I got all this attention and whatnot and then when it when we moved to Canada I didn't know anyone I didn't speak like a word of English. Um, my parents and I kind of like went through that transition together. Oh, wow. But I do remember when I went to preschool and like didn't understand anything. It was like the first time I felt stupid. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like I like I'm like a baby again. I have to start from scratch. And I think that really had an impact on me. And it's funny when you brought up the word chameleon, because I feel similarly in a lot of situations where I think it comes from that immigration experience where you kind mm -hmm. of have to adapt to wherever you are um, mm -hmm. to like survive, but also not stick out too much. Um, yeah. 
which ties also into, you know, most people's high school experience of like, you just yeah. want to fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think you brought up like a really good comparison there. And then thank you for sharing your experience as well, because it's certainly, um, it is vastly different being a first gen immigrant as opposed to being the child of second gen immigrants. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm like two and a half, like, right. like sec- two and a half generations of immigrants uh, coming to, to Canada. And so um, that is a very different experience. And to hear that, you know, you kind of went through that at the same time as your parents is just, you know, as an experience, a lived experience that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but it's, it's great that we're able to, to kind of unpack that a little bit uh, in this conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And something else I think we have in common is also getting involved in creative outlets and arts from a young age. But what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so apparently, um, I don't know. It's funny. Cause I always felt like, you know, looking back when I was a kid, I thought I was shy, but apparently I wasn't. Uh, so growing up, um, I did the whole singing, acting, dancing, triple threat, like lessons and activities in school. So those are certainly my creative outlets. Um, I did voice lessons for a long time and then which kind of led me to, um, an interest in, uh, building community around music, and we'll get to that later, I imagine. And then, yeah, the the dance was just, you know, like a fun fitness thing, too, because um, I love music, and I still do. Um, acting was just like, okay, well, it's another way to express myself. Uh, definitely was not a very good actor, but that's all right, too. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I think, like, eventually, maybe, like, age 15, 16 onward, it, I kind of transitioned from my creative outlet being the one on stage and doing the performances to being the one um, organizing them. Cause I had mm-hmm. like maybe like a specific vision and I wanted others who I knew were far more talented than me to have that platform, that outlet, and I could support them along the way and their successes, you know, I'd feel you know good about cause I was empowering them. Mm. Um, so I think maybe, I don't know, and maybe in some way too, part of that was like, oh, they're way better than me. So mm. but let's just have them, like, let them have the spotlight. But, you know, it's just something I'll do for fun kind of thing too. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of like transitioned uh, from that. But I mean, that being said, like over the years, I've also transitioned to my different creative outlets to either writing, public speaking, um, or you know, hosting a podcast, right. Or, yeah. you know, the hosting for TV and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, I think in, in some ways I'm still definitely using my voice, but just in a less, uh, fine arts performance arts, uh, kind of, kind of way. Sure. Yeah. You're building the platforms to allow more of those voices to come out. At what point did you realize that that was an option, like that you could put on shows and you could even just like understanding what a producer is like, <laughs> <laughs> like, how'd you come across that? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there was like a specific moment. I don't know if I like knew what a producer was per se until like like end of high school so Mm. um maybe this is where we can get into rich city idol a little bit so okay listeners this is how jane and i know each other (laughs) um (laughs) yeah so i mean like rich city idol is a singing competition for high school students in richmond a suburb of vancouver you know where jane and i uh, you know grew up and um you know it was um around the time of you know American Idol, Canadian Idol, when that still existed. Uh, certainly American Idol has been through the ringer. It's still going on. It took a pause and came back and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think with that, uh, I just considered myself an event planner at that time. I didn't realize what a producer was. And then it wasn't until um, at the end of high school, so at the end of grade 12, where um, one of the, the, the judges that we got for Rich City Idol, the singing competition, um, she worked at MTV Canada when MTV Canada was still based in Vancouver. Mm. So, and this is before, you know, they moved out to Toronto. So I asked like, Hey, like, are you guys taking an interns by any chance? Like, I would love to like, see like what it's like to work in television. Mm. Um, Yeah. So I think it was then um, the summer right after high school, before I even started doing my post-secondary studies, I interned at MTV Canada it, you know, went through a different couple of different network changes and stuff, but I was like working alongside with an interning and helping do like research for an entertainment lifestyle teen music show. Um, 
yeah, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and that's, I think that's when I really learned what a producer did. Um, and it's funny because I actually still kept these like printed paper notes when I went back actually into producing and hosting for television, like in 2016. And so, um, you know, a lot of those principles around storytelling, research, um, you know, organizing still came into play, but I didn't think being a producer was a thing I could be until someone told me I was a producer. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, I've definitely, you know, gotten over, um, because especially in the job market and stuff like that, it's very easy to kind of get caught up in being like, okay, well, I've never had a job where like a paying job where someone calls me a producer. So therefore I've never been a producer, but technically all the stuff that I was doing was producing. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe like more confident, like early to, I guess like mid twenties, Natasha was like, Hey, you know what girl, you are a freaking producer. So I started calling myself that and I actually started doing the work and and I wasn't just calling myself that out of nowhere, but like, um, yeah, I I think it's, it was a confidence thing too, where I realized that, you know, a, okay, this profession exists, this is what it entails and see like I'm doing these things. So therefore I am a producer. Um, and it took me like 15 years to figure that out, (laughs) but, um, yeah, really great for the journey um maybe I'm a little bit um you know slower to come to that realization um but yeah it's it's been uh it's cool I still consider myself a producer I love producing whether it be for video tv podcasts anything of the sort um it, I mean you know what it's like I mean you're doing it right now so it's a, <laughs> it's a ton of fun <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, what would you call it? Like full stack producer or something? Like you've done all the media types, audio, music, you know, video, and uh, and now a full-fledged, you know, multimedia platform, which I'd love to get to in a little bit. I actually didn't know that you did that MTV gig. That's super cool. And such a great opportunity to come in, like even before university to have that experience under your belt. Yeah, it was, it was really freaking cool. I mean, I took a break from it because uh, I, I wanted to finish my post-secondary studies and it was always kind of in the back of my mind where I'm like, okay, well, like I'm going to get my degree in communications. And then if I decide afterwards that I still want to go into maybe broadcast media, then I can look into a broadcasting school. And so I, I did take a little bit of a break and it took me about like 10 years to to get back to it um, after like a, like a big kind of like personal like challenge, um, personal professional challenge. It was a point where I was, you know, actually like depressed. Um, and I, you know, was trying to figure out like what I wanted to do because at that point I was working in marketing for a while, like professionally after I had graduated from university. And so, and then it ended up, you know, ended up being that I was able to connect with uh, opportunities that would bring me back to those producer roots. So that's a, that's a super short version of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you open to sharing more about that? I know you talked about this in your TEDx talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I loved. And I'd love to hear your take on, um, you know, how you kind of fell into the marketing world, realized it, it wasn't really for you. It wasn't like burning that passion for you. And then how you kind of got out of that rut into the more creative work that you're doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Happy to go into it. I mean, um, uh, you, d- you gave a very great overview. But I mean, I think for myself, um, you know, even after university, I was still trying to figure out who I was as a working professional. Um, because, you know, kind of going back to like, oh, well, like, I've never been called a producer, like been paid for it. So I can't really get a job like that. Because I mean, you know how it is, right? Like you're trying to get your first job out of university. Um, to get your first job experience or work experience, you need work experience, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like twisted in my mind. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, so uh, I ended up going into event planning um, and then from there transitioned into marketing in a very like corporate setting. Um, And I think I just got really caught up in that. And then eventually, um, you know, there's a point where I was at a a job and um, I was feeling very like disconnected and so for those of you uh, who aren't aware of, of some of this terminology, I'll, I'll kind of unpack it a little bit, but I was um, 
practicing what is called presenteeism. So I was physically at work, but not mentally there. So what that looked like for me was I was working longer hours, uh, but not really getting much done. My brain was always foggy. It was really hard for me to make decisions um, or I'd be like really hard on myself. I'd find myself like walking off a couple of times a day, a day to go to the washroom or a quiet room to just like cry because I was just mm. so overwhelmed and I couldn't really like do anything. I couldn't really function properly. Um, and I think for me, like I was just trying like so hard to make that particular marketing job work because I'm like, well, like, you know, just your internal narrative saying like, well, you should be grateful, Natasha, to have a job like this uh, at a great company with great coworkers and great growth opportunities. Why aren't you doing better at your job? So those are the kind of mm. like, you know, that was the internal dialogue I was having with myself. Um, and then eventually um, the decision was made for me because of you know, because of those reasons and, you know, leading to like not a very good performance at work, I was let go. And to be honest with you, I was so relieved uh, that that happened because the decision was made for me. I was trying to push through because, you know, persevere. That was, I guess, just part of my personality at that time. Um, I mean, it still is, but I think I persevered on the wrong thing when I could have just walked away. <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? Um, here's here's a pro tip: if you're if you're ever feeling like the way that I just described, there is a way out. <laughs> you can leave. You're not you're not like tied down, and you know just do it in a way that makes sense for you financially, emotionally, and and all that as as well. And but yeah, so you know, but before that happened, I did um, get a chance to work on a couple of creative projects where I was producing and hosting for for television um, uh, locally in, in Vancouver, um, just for like a really small like community channel. And um, that kind of gave me a little bit more hope. Uh, I started to work on like more fun, creative, like scripted projects, like with just for fun with some friends. And I felt like a lot better about that. Um, at that point where, where I lost my job, I wasn't really like, yes, I'm gonna go completely into the creative realm. Um, it definitely like, wasn't like that, but I'm really glad that I took the chance to uh, explore that even while I wasn't happy uh, at work because it just gave, it still just like gave me hope. Right. Uh, and I, and it was, I actually, I actually do also work at another full-time job right now and it's in marketing, but it, it I went back to marketing after like a couple years off, but it's, it's a lot better this time around because the time in between, I got to do a whole bunch of other things, do a bunch of creative producing um, as well as, you know, I was a teacher at some point for high school you know a high school program as well as like in university as well um and it really just kind of gave myself a chance to really remember who I was and what my strengths were mm-hmm. um and what I was interested in but at the end of the day like I like to consider myself a storyteller mm. so or enabler of storytelling in my day-to-day job um so I oversee branding and communications slash PR um for a meal kit company out in Canada and um I get to tell the most amazing stories. I work with people to tell the most amazing stories about the company, about their lives. And, you know, just, I, I really connect with that. And for me, it's just, it's a great opportunity because I get to marry my uh, creative capabilities and interests with, with my experience in marketing. So um, these opportunities do exist. And I would say that being a creative producer or producer is not, definitely not completely separate from working in a more traditional marketing role. Um, marketers these days have to be super creative um, to, to capture attention of their market. Um, and of course, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes into marketing as well. And I'm certainly not a technical marketer or performance marketer for that for that matter. But um, yeah, I'm just feeling uh, very grateful to, to have gone through the journey of uh, figuring out what kind of a creative and or producer I am. Yeah. All the um, hyphens. That's where where I'm at today. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's where I'm at today. (laughs) Love that. Well, thank you for sharing. And I love too that you bring up this connection between storytelling and marketing, because I'm actually in a very similar place right now where I am in a product marketing role at a tech company. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it especially ties into my identity. However, a lot of the work I do, I am proud of, you know, I get to produce Mm -hmm. videos. I get to, you know, write, you know, blog posts that I I do actually care about, even if Mm. um, it's not exactly like the product or the thing I want to be talking about. Um, But I think a lot of that creative process kind of goes over between, yeah, whether you're producing stories like as a film or as a show versus as an ad, like it's still just different forms of storytelling. 
You're absolutely right. And I'm glad that you you see that as well. And I'm glad too that you are enjoying the work that you do. I wish it were more often that, you know, marketers uh, that are, do have that creative, you know, talent, but also the technical capabilities to do, to do all the technical marketing things and, and skills-based things. Um, I do hope that, you know, others are able to find those opportunities for themselves because you can be creative, but you can't make something come to life. No one's ever going to see your work, right? Mm. Uh, so to, to have those two in combination um, and have the opportunity to do that, I think is, is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And it's funny, like, I'll mm-hmm. do like some advising informally with friends who um, have their own startups. And it's funny, like, they'll ask me all these questions about marketing that I assume everybody knows, like, oh, yeah, mm. like, you know, how to measure these KPIs, and you know what a funnel looks like. But I realize now it's not actually common knowledge. And it's, it's a skill set that we have. Oh, completely. And then here's the thing too, right? People are going into marketing roles now without direct like marketing education or experience, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't go to school for marketing, but I right. learned a lot of things on the job, right? And like, same with you, like as an entrepreneur, like you had, like you had to learn for yourself, like you were building the plane while flying it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, like a lot of these, these skills, um, you know, and, and, what you would think would be a base of knowledge are, you know, you can't just assume that anymore, right? Because mm-hmm. um, people aren't going as traditional in, in terms of their education or work experience in terms of the, the, the path uh, anymore. And I think that's actually a huge benefit to innovation uh, across industries. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You can't, you can't just like assume. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a hard skill set. Yeah, um, it is. <laughs> Well, I'd love to pivot a little bit and talk about Cold Tea Collective and what you're building now. Um, So a few years ago, you started this media platform for um, specifically North American Asian stories. Can you talk about how you sort of landed on that as an idea and kind of the birth story of Cold Tea? Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it is connected to that, you know, earlier on, we were talking about uh, that point in my life where I was trying to figure out like creatively what I wanted to do. I was also in between jobs, like I was jobless, but I was actually getting paid like as a freelancer here and there to to produce and host for a local community TV channel. So Mm -hmm. there was one event that I was covering where I had to interview people um, at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival. And so I'm I mean, like, I like movies, but like, oh, I like action movies, like going to the theater kind of thing. Um, so I wasn't really, uh, hadn't really been introduced at that point in my life to the indie film scene, let alone the independent Asian uh, filmmaking uh, scene. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was at that event that I went to that I saw the short films that were produced um, and starring local Vancouver actors, directors, producers, writers, other members, like other crew members. And it was really like, it, it kind of hit me because I wasn't expecting this to happen, but it was the first time I really saw myself on screen um, in the sense of I saw people who looked like me, whose experiences were similar to mine. Um, and they weren't the stereotypical, I guess, um, caricatures of Asian Americans or Asian Canadians that you might see or you might have seen in like major media and entertainment. And so I, I, I swear to you, I cried in like almost every single short film. Mm. There were probably like 10 short films. There. And then I had to introduce, <laughs> interview like filmmakers afterwards. Oh but um, <laughs> yeah, but like, so I, I was there and I was, you know, there with a friend and I said, oh my gosh, like if this is just a preview as to how powerful telling stories for us by us can be, we need to do more of this. More people need to feel this way. More people need to feel proud or connected or, or at least feel relevant and, and like seen and understood. And so that's kind of where the general idea of cold, of cold tea collective kind of came about. But I knew for me, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a filmmaker, right? I don't really have an interest in creating like, like a whole bunch of films to like get people to feel this way. And, and just all the technical things around distribution production and that's expensive and all that kind of stuff. So I, what I ended up doing is that the first step um, that we kind of took was to share my own story about how I went through that career transition from marketing into, into broadcast media. 
and I shared, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the dark stuff behind it too. I wrote it in an article. It was on LinkedIn or medium. And then, yeah, I just got like some really like thoughtful responses from that, that article that I had wrote, you know, people saying like, wow, like I went through the exact same thing or like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that you were going through this um, or to a friend of mine as well, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was a bit of like a pilot project for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I thought, okay, well, okay, my story is just one story. I'm going to invite other people to share their stories as well. So we just, I don't know, just did like a call out. And to be honest with you, a lot of the people that, you know, contributed, you know, in the first like early days of Cold Tea Collective, I had never like met before. They were just friends of friends of friends. They wanted to share something. They didn't necessarily have experience as writers, but they had a story to tell. And then I guess like four or five years later, now Cold Tea Collective has a team of like nearly like 30 content creators. So writers, producers, like editors, uh, you know, graphic designers, social media specialists, and digital marketing folk across the Canada and the US. So, I mean, I, I'm just super grateful that it's it's grown to, to where it is today. And then we get to be a platform for sharing the, the real lived experiences of North American Asian millennials. Wow, that's amazing. You guys are like a legit media platform and media business. We're that's trying awesome. to be. Yeah. And you know what, you know what though, I mean, like we're, I mean, we're still mostly like volunteer based. Um, mm-hmm. However, this last year we had the opportunity to uh, work on a number of uh, paid projects. So what that, what that signals to me is that, okay, well, um, companies actually, companies and brands actually do want to invest in diverse storytelling, but maybe they just don't know where to go. Right. Mm-hmm. So the next step for us is to, you know, let these, these businesses and brands know that they can invest and they can support you know, the Asian American, Asian Canadian community um, by help, like enabling us and telling these stories. And, you know, your sister being one of them, we're telling her story and her perspective as a content creator herself. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's been a super exciting year and so excited for what's going to happen in 2021. Yeah, for sure. I saw that campaign you guys did recently with Dove and Refinery29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations. That looked like it Thanks. was a hit. And, well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, like you know, if you're you're listening, um, maybe maybe Jane can like throw out the throw a link to that campaign in in the yeah. podcast description or something like that. But like, yeah. So that that partnership, uh, never in my life that I think would have a chance to work with Dove <laughs> or Refinery Twenty Nine for that matter. Um, these are just you know huge household names, and you know to be honest, Refinery Twenty Nine um, for its content is one of those publications I really look up to because they really understand the voice of their audience and can create bespoke content like that speaks specifically to that audience as well. Um, And it's real, it's raw, um, and they're not afraid to shy away from the tough topics, right? To be able to partner with them and Dove, like literally a household brand, um, was pretty incredible. And I'll tell you this though, Cold Tea Collective did not like apply to like be a part of this, you know, like program to partner with them to tell these stories of women, you know, and how they shatter beauty stereotypes and feel more, you know, uh, experience body confidence and how they've grown to do that over the years. Um, it's not like we applied to do that, but they found us uh, online and they liked our voice. They liked what we were already doing. So this is to all you other, um, you know, creatives out there. I think it's very easy to get caught up in, this going back to the chameleon thing now, it's very easy to get caught up in doing something that you think others will like and really just hoping that they will catch on um, and mm. almost like into some points you know if you go extreme like some some people might like quote unquote fell out because mm. they're trying to meet a certain standard that's already been set but if you just really focus on your own voice your own ideas and what you believe to be true to yourself then those that align with that and those that recognize that and those that want to partner with you on that will follow. I love that. Yeah. It's like, if you're actually saying something out there and it's authentic and resonates with people, good things will come. I feel like this is something I need to hear <laughs> as I'm, you know, doing the same thing. And I'll remind you whenever you need to remind. Yes. <laughs> love it. 
Um, I'd love to hear more. Uh, you know, you mentioned Refinery29 being a great example of how, you know, they they know exactly who their audience is and they tell stories for that audience. How would you articulate who the cold tea audience is? And um, you guys do a ton of different kinds of stories on Cold Tea Collective. Mm-hmm. What's the kind of editorial process for how you, you know, brainstorm topics or find stories to share? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, with regard to editorial process, I'm very fortunate to work with a team that actually oversees that. So I'm a little bit less uh, involved these days and over the last like two years, which is actually really amazing because I mean, yeah, I can come up with ideas, but I know that there are, as I, like, as I said earlier, there are people that are way more talented at coming up with these ideas than I am. Um, so in the early days, I would say like the first like two years, two and a half years of Cold Tea Collective is really just like free for all, like whoever wants to write for us, you know, write mm-hmm. for us kind of thing. Right. And then in the last like year and a half, two years um, with the continually growing strength and I guess experience of the editorial team, we've really been able to hone in on some of these topics. And so even two years ago, we had editorial themes per quarter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what we did was, okay, like, you know, taking a look at seasonality, taking a look at the, if you use Google analytics or something called like in-market segments, or even like, you know, affinity, like um, topics that you can take a look at. Um, If you have data, you can go off of definitely use that to help determine, or at least kind of guide or inform your editorial process, uh, or not necessarily process, but editorial topics or themes. So we kind of, experimented a little bit with that there so we focused on like business and entrepreneurship um like identity and heritage I mean I know that's woven throughout all of our content anyway but there's a specific set of months where we focused really deeply on that there was another theme like health and wellness for example so we kind of experimented there so we did that for about a year took the data see what resonated and then um as a marketer you might know (laughs) Um, if something's performing well, you you do more of that, right? Mm-hmm. So we did more of that, but also seeing how the tide changed so much in the media landscape, especially in 2020, um, especially after March, after June, right? We know what happened. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened in you know those times of the year. Our editorial kind of focus was more around how can we hone in on the more timely topics that are still. I guess, evergreen and uh, will be continue to be timeless in how they are communicated and how people might resonate with them. So for example, the effects of COVID-19 on mom and pop restaurants. Mm. Okay. So um, for us, like, yes, there's a certain level of, you know, timeliness because it's like, okay, say specifically COVID-19 specific to this, like, like period in time, but then mom and pop restaurants, Think about how many like Asian Americans, Asian Canadians, you know, grew up in a family restaurant setting, helping mm-hmm. their parents out at restaurants or, um, you know, like growing up or even like working in one. But now like that particular story focused on mom and pop and family style restaurants that were run and operated by millennials. Mm. Right. And so there's a a couple of different layers and talking about different generations and stuff, too. So I think for us, um, you know, a lot of our editorial, I guess, kind of themes and and guidelines and inspiration really comes from what's happening in our communities and what's important to people. What are people talking about? And also, what are people not talking about? Is there an experience that people are experiencing, but they don't have an outlet? They don't have any resources? One of our top performing articles in this last year, um, in 2020, and it still continues today, is about someone's sharing their experience about being in a relationship with an asexual person. Hmm. And so it's very niche, but it's also clearly like like people have questions about that, whether or not they're Asian, uh, Asian American or Asian Canadian or not. Um, mm-hmm. you know, people have questions about that. And that continues to be a top performing article. And our article of course, also happens to be speaking from the perspective of someone who is an Asian Canadian. Mm. And so that adds another layer of depth or complexity to the story as well. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of goes back to, you know, feeling, you know, creating content that you can make people feel seen, heard, understood. 
That's incredible and, and so interesting about that article because it touches on a few themes that are a little bit taboo in Asian communities and Asian families, yeah. right? Like sex, relationships. You also don't see that topic being talked about in non-Asian communities either. So that's oh, exactly. I do love also the focus that you guys have on mental health mm-hmm. um, because that is something that I've talked about with some of my Asian friends, but it's just not something that comes up in family conversations and mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, brushed under the rug. Like it's not, um, you know, things like anxiety and depression, at least within my family, weren't really taken seriously. And we never kind of talked about it outright, even though mm-hmm. it might Um, be like things that we individually go through. So Mm -hmm. I love that you guys shine a spotlight on that. And was it kind of your intention to shed a light on mental health stories? Yeah, definitely. Um, So as mentioned earlier, we specifically chose out the theme. um, It was actually a year ago uh, around health and wellness around, you know, what that means in Asian communities and how we can, you know, bring to light some of the stories that are that people are asking to be told, as well as the ones that are, are not being told, right? We specifically chose a large to largely focus on mental health because we knew that it was something that was impacting our communities, especially communities of color, especially the Asian community. I was doing some research last year around how Asian Americans are three times less likely to ask for help or seek out help when it comes to their mental health. That's really quite concerning uh, to me. And so with that also, um, we, we, we had a couple of different ways that we approach content with that. So we had our own ideas. So um, every month we go out to our, you know, our staff writers, our editors, contributors, um, as well as, you know, sometimes posts on social media. We're looking for stories in this particular, under this particular topic. If you have any story ideas, please pitch us. We have like a specific framework around that. And sometimes, you know, with that, like there's, there's not a seasonality necessarily around talking about mental health. And so we'll often get, you know, external pitches um, from, you know, people that have not written for us before um, on that, on those topics as well, uh, all the, all throughout the year. When it comes to that, I think um, personal is really powerful when it comes to talking about mental health, because not only is it so difficult for so many people to do that, but also one's experience with their mental health wellness, uh, as well as how they get through that, maybe eventually overcome that, or maybe just manage it is vastly different from another person's. So what you're experiencing might be different from me, it might be kind of similar. But either way, let's just say if I was like writing a story about my mental health challenges, um, and how I got through it, maybe you might pick out one or two things from that experience or that story, that is a to you, or at least helps open your mind to other possibilities of how you can help yourself or help someone in your family, um, one of your friends, one of your colleagues, what have you. We recognize we're not like experts uh, in this space, but what we can offer is, you know, direction to resources as well as, you know, inviting others to share their own personal experiences. Hmm. Also, I remember when I was watching your TED talk, you were kind of breaking down the name of Cold Tea Collective and talking Mm -hmm. about how in um, a lot of Eastern cultures, there's much more of an emphasis on the collective or family unit rather than the individual. But I think with Cold Tea Collective, this Mm -hmm. is what I'm reading is that like we're harnessing that power of telling individual stories to make connections um, as an overall collective. But maybe you can say more about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, so here's the thing, whenever someone asks me like, oh, what does the name Cold Tea Collective even mean? I'm like, well, what do you think it means? Because <laughs> I mean, like, I, once again, the same thing, like, I can have my definition, um, mm. but constantly my definition every day, every month, every year is being expanded based on the, my own experiences, as well as the conversations that I have with other people or the, the content that I read from other people. So I've heard some really brilliant interpretations of that. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different uh, interpretations of what that means. And once again, like uh, it might mean one thing to one person then something else to another. So it's definitely an open definition. I think that's part of the collective part of it too, right? <laughs> Where people can kind of, you know, contribute their own ideas around what it means. But one of the definitions, or I guess kind of meanings behind the name Cold Tea Collective is around um, how 
you know, that a, a term that came out last year that the year before is like, what's the tea? Like what's the hot gossip. Right. Mm-hmm. But then cold tea represents what are people not talking about that maybe they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so once again, that kind of goes back to how we might inform or guide our editorial uh, approach. And, and with that, you know, hopefully, you know, tap into a different audience that needs this, this content. Yeah. Um, another one would be, you know, tea is traditionally served hot, but, um, when it gets cold, you, you, there's the question, what do you, what do you actually do with that? Right. So when your tea gets cold, do you just like throw it out, you know, um, or do you, do you make, do you make, make a new one? Do you add more hot water? But then that changes the taste of the tea because it gets diluted, et cetera, mm. et cetera. And there's like a weird, like in between temperature. Right. So similar to that, um, if the tea was, were maybe like your traditional, you know, for me, it's like uh, Chinese Canadian, uh, like heritage, if that, you know, if that was represented in the tea, you know, me, myself growing up as a second gen Chinese Canadian, um, you know, that, that, that lives in Vancouver, BC, what have you, what have you, right? Um, how does that, how does that change? How does, like, if I was that tea, like, how does that evolve? And me pouring in this hot water, me trying to maybe as an analogy, you know, try to learn more about my Chinese traditions. Like, how does that change the way that I interact with the world? How's it, how does it change my composition? Ooh, that's deep. Yeah, <laughs> hella deep. It t- that's what it takes a long time to <laughs> explain yeah. that part. I'm oh my God, you got like chemistry going on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing too, right? Like everyone's got a different flavor. And so mm-hmm. um, another fun interpretation of the name Cold Tea Collective is it's kind of like, I don't know, I thought it was just like my generation, but apparently my aunt who's in her 60s knows this term as well. But cold tea also refers to the practice of going to uh, a Chinese restaurant after hours, aka after partying, like downtown or something. Mm-hmm. And then you ask for cold tea. And what they'll bring you is a tea, um, liquor in a teapot. So it's kind of <laughs> like, if you know, you know, it's like an insider scoop. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that, what, that kind of how that relates to what we're doing is like, hey, like, these are the stories that you should know. Um, but also what we're talking about things that we're not going to provide uh, what we call an explanation for to you. So we're not going to like, like explain why you take off your shoes in an Asian household. Okay, right. we're not going to explain that we fully expect that you like know that, mm. like already, that's a given. Um, but you know, we're just going to like jump right to it. Um, if you know, you know, it's kind of like a secret little, little thing. Um, and then if you know that you're part of the collective. <laughs> Ooh, that's fun. It's like a little like secret password. I'd love to hear like, what's your vision for Culty Collective eventually? Like, what's it going to look like in five, 10 years? <laughs> oh my gosh, five, 10 years from now. Um, I don't know about 10 years. Cause I think like the media landscape is just going to change so much, but maybe like um, within the next five years, uh, certainly when it comes to media communities, I'm, I don't know about you, but um, people are subscribing more to um, like in a membership model for specific like media communities. Um, we're looking at, you know, growing our audience and making sure that we're still continuing to, you know, create content for them that's relevant, engaging for them, and hopefully inspires them um, either to think or do something and maybe that they've never done before, or that makes them feel better about who they, their identity and who they are, um, or it gives them the confidence to just try new things. So that's always going to be the focus. But I mean, just taking a look at the, the different media models out there right now. So looking at potentially like a membership model, subscription-based model, um, you know, expanding into other forms of content. Uh, right now we do mostly articles just because I mean, like, COVID and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. even outside of that, um, you know, growing our podcast platform, as well as uh, hopefully producing more videos, I'd love to, you know, of course, like go from like, mostly volunteer basis to like, like a nicely paid, you know, kind of basis, because um, I think, you know, creatives should be compensated for their work. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I'm just very fortunate to have the team that is, is able and willing to volunteer. But of course, I would like to you know, pay them for their contributions as well. And so, yeah, growing our sponsored content opportunities and hopefully investment too, to be able to, to support Asian creatives and their storytelling um, would be uh, of course, a big part of that, that five-year vision. With that too, um, who knows, like anything is possible. Like you take a, you take a look at Lily Singh, how she started off on Mm -hmm. YouTube 
Um, now she has her own show on NBC. Like maybe there's, maybe there's something like that down the line. I don't know. I've always wanted to have my own TV show. Um, yes. But in the, in the meantime, I just told myself, I'll just going to do my own. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Call myself my own producer or host or whatever you want to call yourself. Right. But there's, there's so many different opportunities. And I think with that too, like media is just, as I said, changing so much um, from day to day, like Instagram every day, every week is like pumping out a new feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even on TikTok yet. It's just like, there's so much to consume. That's yeah. It's a whole another universe. Yeah, exactly. So I think like an important part about that also is that, you know, choose what platforms make sense for you, right? Like you've chosen the podcast platform, which is a fantastic platform. It's been like steadily growing and even more so in the last few years. And so even the the future of podcasting will change quite a bit too. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Lots to look forward to from Culty Collective. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Don't yeah. hold me to any of that, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you'll manifest a lot of it. <laughs> yes. Manifestation. That is the word of yeah. the month of January. But I, I think that's certainly my approach to, to most things in life. You have a vision and then you make it happen. That's right. I want to talk about you a little bit because amidst building your stunning career and doing all the work you've done in marketing and creative production and with building Cold Tea Collective, you've also gotten married, you've become a dog mom, and you're about to become a mother, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you manage to do it all and stay sane? Sanity is a spectrum. Um, <laughs> so is sleep. Uh, just kidding. No, you either sleep or you don't, right? But I mean, <laughs> even the quality of sleep is a spectrum. Um, yeah, I mean, like I'm. I, I think I'm just very fortunate uh, that you know, I have an incredible, an incredible partner that mm-hmm. is super supportive. I just said like, hey, I this podcast interview from like this time to this time, like just you know, uh, just letting you know, like. I won't be accessible in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, like he's, he's independent, uh, of course. Um, he's an adult human person, <laughs> so, <laughs> of course. But I mean, like, no, he, um, so yeah, just uh, honestly, I wouldn't be able to do it without the support of an incredibly supportive partner. Um, and I think with that too, it's not even just that. It's not like, okay, hi, bye. Like I'm going off to do my own thing, but he really respects and understands why I need to do these things even though I'm not necessarily creating something right now, by having this conversation with you, I'm helping you create something. Right. And I get to have an in-depth conversation that I can't have with my dog. Right. Like I can't like, (laughs) you know, you know, or like other people are just as an extremely extroverted person to be in isolation for most of the year because of COVID and just like trying to stay safe and keep other people safe and like being pregnant and just like all that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. Like this is, um, yeah, I really enjoy just like connecting with people. And I've, I've always been like that though. So it's less of a, a change or less of an impact, I think, or like not as surprising for my, my partner on that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just very fortunate uh, to have that kind of relationship where he too is independent, has his own interests. Um, and is not obviously like, not just like waiting around for me to like mm. do something with him. Right. Um, yeah. And it, I guess like your, your other question around like sanity, was it like, how do I mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, honestly, it really does come down to prioritization. Um, I'm still learning this, but I mean, like, for example, like I've, I have, like I have a day job and I have cold tea and I have a dog, I'm growing a human. So I'm like extra tired all the time. Um, and obviously like I have, you know, friends and, and family that I want to, you know, talk with or, you know, whether it be, you know, virtually or like from a distance in person uh, that plus like my own mental health and like having time for exercise, like rest and creative, like rejuvenation, you just have to prioritize. So for example, I used to be the kind of person where like, oh, hey, like Natasha, do you want to speak of this thing? I'm like, yeah, sure. I just want to experience. But I got to the point where like, I was doing it so much that I'm like, okay, well, firstly, I ask the right questions first, right? So same thing with like anything, if you have a full-time job, right? Like before you actually like, you know, someone asks you to do something before you actually do it, because you have like all this other stuff to do, mm-hmm. you ask like, okay, well, what's the purpose? Like, what is this impact? Like, what am I going to get out of it? Like, wh- how does it help my KPIs? Right? Like, mm-hmm. how did, you know, if it's a work thing, right? So then I kind of look back to myself, if I'm asked for, you know, sharing my personal time, like, what am I going to get out of this? For me, like speaking with you, I get a great conversation, right? And I get to, to help you as well. And I get to learn from you. So I get a lot out of it, 
in that sense, right? There's that. But then there's also like, well, maybe if there's another person asking me to do the same thing, but I don't know them and I don't know their podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't know their content. I don't know like if they're going to ask me the right questions. Like I can't just give away my time like that for free, Mm -hmm. right? Or like anything that I do now, it's either has to be beneficial to my time, my growth or the growth of my wallet. So Mm. taking unpaid speaking opportunities is not something that I can afford to do right now because taking an unpaid speaking opportunity means taking away time for me to build my own business or focus on my mental health or physical health or my family or my friends. So a lot of that has to do with um, the kind of cost benefit analysis, like really quickly in my head. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. Cause you know, of all the things time is finite, right. And mm-hmm. we're not getting any younger. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. Um, last question for you. Do you think you're living your dream? And if not, what does your dream look like? Ooh, I think I have many dreams. <laughs> mm. So I'm living some parts of my dreams or like I'm living some dreams, but have not yet, you know, manifested others um I'm certainly on my way to manifesting others so it's always a yes or no yes and no question for me on that aspect I think yes I'm living my dream when it comes to having um an amazing life with a supportive partner friends family I feel loved and I I love other people uh, as well and I love my dog and I love my unborn child kind of thing um but you know, there's other things too that, uh, you know, I think I'm really proud of where we've come with Cold Tea Collective, but it's, there's still so many things I want to accomplish with it. Actually, let me go back and ask you, like, do you, your definition of what it means to live the dream, are you thinking on like a daily basis living, living the dream? Or are you thinking about like, mm, I made it? That's a good question. Um, for me, it's like, have you crafted a meaningful life for yourself in the areas of work and personal life and making sure you're healthy and have time for play? Um, But I guess the easy answer for people like us, like go-getters is like the work aspect. Like in that area, do you feel like you, um, you know, have, have done the things that you want to do slash are on the path to do what you want to do? I think I'm on the path to doing what I want to do. I think for me, just kind of given my situation, like I, I have to work a full-time job on top of doing Cold Tea Collective right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like that's, I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing because like the reason I, you know, I even went back to marketing in the first place is because A, I had the most experience in that compared to everything else. But also um, I knew that I wanted to start a family. So I needed to like mm-hmm. set myself up like financially to be able to like do that too right and that being said too like I feel like I've gotten a lot more like sharp because um I do have that like that daytime commitment where my brain is just like constantly going Mm. um but I mean I think for myself uh you know like the dream would be to you know just like focus on cold tea collective like full-time um but still have that flexibility or even even if it wasn't cold tea collective like just you know have a job that pays well, but has that flexibility to allow me to tend to my family, my friends, my physical, mental health. It's all, it's all a balancing act, but that flexibility especially has become important to me since COVID and working remotely from home. I, I never thought I could work from home. I never thought I could concentrate at anywhere other than like work or like a coffee shop, for example, like even up throughout university, um, I was like never home. Cause I just couldn't like bunker down in a, at home to focus, to, to be productive. But I mean, this year really showed me that I can do it. So, um, you know, now that I know I can do it, I just want to make sure that I have the flexibility to do other things as well. And I can like peel myself away from my computer from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely hard when you're using the same space for, for all those things. Right. Yeah, exactly. This has been such a wonderful conversation and you have so much to give the world and you already have. And I, I feel lucky to, to know you and to be able to have this conversation. You are too kind. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions. And I mean, it, I mean, like outside of that, it's just great to catch up, you know? I know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I hope, I hope you have an episode where you're like, just just like going on for like hours and hours about like what you've been able to accomplish or like have the roles reverse where someone is interviewing you because um, you have given so much and you have so much more to give um, in terms of like your time, your energy, your knowledge and, and your light, if you will. Um, So 
And I have to say, like, for anyone listening, like, Jane has, like, been as wise as she is today as she was when she was 16 when I first met her. Um, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, actually, I was just like, I remember first meeting you, interviewing you for your role as the lead producer for Rich City Idol. You were, like, 16 or something like that. And I'm like, wow, this this person is going places. I'm like, you can have my job. Like, you're just like <laughs> beyond me, like wicked smart, um, so quick um, and super thoughtful. And so, um, yeah, I'm just really, I'm, I'm glad to know you as well. Oh, oh my gosh, that means so much to me. And like 16 year old me definitely did not feel that confident. I made so many mistakes, but you know, we learn. <laughs> we all do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you for for inviting me um, to to join you today. Yeah, for sure. And if folks are interested in following you and learning more about your work, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, just Natasha Jung, J-U-N-G, Instagram at Natasha Jung. Basically all my social media handles are the same, but of course I want to encourage you to check out Cold Tea Collective as well at Cold Tea Collective on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, on, on the Twitter, uh, we are at Cold Tea Media because Twitter didn't let us uh, choose the full name for somebody. I get maybe there's like a character thing or something like that. But mm. anyway, um, yeah. And then of course, coldteacollective.com to find, um, you know, stories for, by, and about Asian millennials. Awesome. Well, all those links will be in the episode description. So you guys should definitely check out Cold Tea Collective and Natasha. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. And, you know, if you're going through any similar struggles or, you know, trying to work on your career as a creative, I'd love to hear what you're up to and chat about it. So you can find me on Instagram at Inside Out with Jane or email me at hello at insideoutwithjane.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would super appreciate if you could leave a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That really helps people find the podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you online.